Thank you, music team. This morning we're talking about praying together, congregational prayer, and I understand that as I start to teach on congregational prayer or corporate prayer, that some of us, uh, myself included, have a different background on this than others. On the topic of personal prayer, um, we probably have more common ground. I think there's more common understanding among people, Christians, even non-Christians, when we talk about prayer and we talk about, think of our own personal prayer, uh, we probably are thinking the same things. We're probably sort of on the same page. We probably have a general idea of what we're thinking about in terms of personal prayer, in terms of sharing a lot of common ground or common understanding or even common experience. But when it comes to corporate or congregational prayer, um, it has dwindled so much over the last 30 to 40 years that I think there's probably a big generational gap in our expectation and our understanding of what corporate prayer even is. Um, you know, so today I want to talk specifically about sort of the holy, sacred, honored, and mission critical, if I can use that word, place that corporate prayer has to hold in the spiritual health of our church just as it has to hold that special place in your own spiritual life as you walk as Christians, and we talked about our personal prayer and how to pray last week, it has to hold that same uh, reverence and that same focus and uh, place of honor in our life as a church as well, because as our personal prayer life kind of waxes and wanes, um, you know that so does the vibrancy of our own personal faith and our obedience and uh, to God. And also, it's true that as our corporate prayer goes, or as our congregational prayer goes, so goes the power and effectiveness of our ministry as a church. And perhaps more importantly, so goes the character uh, of our church in terms of our corporate humility and love and compassion and mercy and forgiveness and unity. Because that all of those things, both the, the mission and the purpose, but also the character of our church will flow out of the health of our corporate prayer. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. And, and you might say, but Paul, last week when you were preaching on prayer, you said that Jesus' example was a quiet time and a quiet place and a quiet mind. And then you showed us in Scripture that Jesus actually literally said, But you, when you pray, go into your closet, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father in secret. And now you're coming this week, and you're telling us that we have to pray together, corporately, as a congregation. And that sounds exactly opposite of what you just taught us last week. You know, where's the corporate prayer in what you taught last week? And that's good. You should be remembering that. You should be calling Scripture to mind, especially my own teaching. Uh, Whenever I teach anything up here, you should hold it against Scripture and and question whether I'm making sense at all. So do that. Um, But that's a good question. Why am I now emphasizing corporate prayer? And where does corporate prayer appear in Scripture for us to model and to understand how corporate or congregational prayer plays a role in the life of the church? And that's what I hope to focus on this morning. Let's just open up in a word of prayer. Father God, I ask you this morning again that your word would go forth and that it would inform us and teach us and transform us, that it would enter our minds and enter our hearts and that we would be changed because of it. Lord, I ask that your glory and your preeminence and your prominence uh, be present this morning above all else that we diminish and that you increase by the teaching of your word. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So why should we pray together then? And what do we notice and what we can notice even in the context of that scripture that I just gave you that seems counterintuitive is that when Jesus is giving that instruction to his disciples to go into their closet and pray and shut the door, his very next example in the prayer is that when we pray, we begin our Father. And it says, forgive us our sins and give us our bread and do not lead us into temptation. So even in the Christian mind, as we are praying in our closet, there is a corporate awareness that it's our Father, that it's our daily bread, that it's our sins that we're praying for. And so even praying in private, the Christian mind is not alone. There's a corporate perspective to our prayer. But even more so than that, of course, we realize that prayer itself is not an either-or proposal. It's not you either pray this way or you pray that way, and it can't be both. Of course, prayer is both and. There is the private, personal time that you spend with God in your closet with the door shut. And then there is also the times that we are to pray together as the congregation, as the people of God. And all through the Old Testament, God instructs his people in corporate prayer and worship. And they respond corporately or congregationally as his people. In Exodus 2, 23 to 24, when the people are in Egypt, it says, Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, and then the children of Israel groaned because of their bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. And so God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant. And so here you have the people of Israel, the whole nation, groaning to God, and their cries going up to God, and God hears them as a nation. And it's the first of many, many scenes that we could go through of the whole nation of Israel crying out together to their God. And then in Second Chronicles 7.14, God speaks and he says, If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. One of the more famous verses on prayer. So God says, if, if my people, if, if the people of God would call out to me, I'll hear them and I'll forgive them and heal them. And you could go through David and Solomon and Ezra and Nehemiah, as we just read, of the testimony of God's people led in prayer as a nation, as a congregation, as corporately in prayer. All through the Old Testament, we have this pattern of God's people crying out to him together. And then through the New Testament, as even in the very infancy of the church, right after the resurrection and ascension, you have in Acts chapter 4, the, the, that ragtag little group of believers at the very beginning of the church age, and they're gathered together after Jesus had risen at the very beginning of the church, and as they receive news about Peter and John uh, in, in jail, it says that they lifted their voices together to God, it says in Acts chapter 4. So they're there gathered and they lift their voices together to God. And in many, many other places as you continue, and I don't have to give you a list in the New Testament, uh, you can be blessed in your own personal Bible study time of finding those places uh, through Acts and through the epistles uh, of Peter's and Paul's and John's prayers for the church uh, congregationally. And so we pray together because it's the pattern that is given and set before us by God and his people. 
And the most striking circumstances of corporate prayer are just as we would expect, that there is a need that God must meet or an opportunity for fruitful obedience. When you go through the different examples of God's people crying out or being led in in sort of corporate congregational prayer, there is a great need that God must meet or there is a great opportunity for fruitful obedience for the church. And that's the common thread through these many of these prayers, that there's a need, and that's not surprising because we always are in need of God, or that there's an opportunity for fruitfulness and blessing that the early church wants to press in on and say, God, we have an opportunity here. We need your blessing that we might be obedient and that we might be fruitful in what we are pursuing here. And so the need and the opportunity often go hand in hand together. Nehemiah, for example, cried out to God because he had heard of the devastation of Jerusalem and its walls. Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king, and he had not been to Jerusalem in many, many, many years, and Jerusalem was falling into disrepair, and the walls were down, and the temple was down. And so there was a great need, and Nehemiah cries out to God because he hears of the devastation of Jerusalem and its walls. There's a terrible need that the people of God had in Jerusalem, but then he also prayed for protection and success in the rebuilding of those walls. He prayed that their enemies would be defeated and that God would be glorified, that there was a great need but also a great opportunity for God's people. And the people of Israel cried out to God through Nehemiah. And so you could go read Nehemiah too. Lots of homework this week, I guess, already. Um, But you can go read Nehemiah and read those prayers. They are incredible as the people of God cry out for God's protection and that the opportunity not be missed for the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And in the New Testament church was sensitive through corporate prayer to the ministry opportunities that God led them in. And they acted on those opportunities through corporate prayer. So here you have this this New Testament church in its infancy and they're just getting building up the body of believers and planting churches, and they had opportunities for fruitfulness, and it was through corporate prayer that those opportunities for fruitfulness were really um, apprehended or taken hold of and accomplished. In Acts 13, it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And so here you have the church corporately praying together, all together fasting and praying together, and the Holy Spirit using that as an opportunity to speak to them and saying there's an opportunity for fruitfulness here as you are gathered praying, so keep praying and keep fasting and then anoint Saul and Barnabas to go and do ministry for me. That came out of corporate prayer. And we know where where that led to, right, with the missionary journeys of Paul and the, the amazing spread of the gospel from that came out of Fasting and praying together as a congregation in this little church in Antioch. And that began a ministry life that was upheld by corporate prayer. As Paul repeatedly asked the churches to pray together for each other and then to pray for him and his ministry. I mean, just a few examples. He uh, asked that God would provide for the opportunity for him to speak and be heard in Colossians 4 and that he would know what to say in Ephesians 6.19 and that he would proclaim the message clearly in Colossians 4.4 and that he would be bold and not afraid as he proclaimed the message in Ephesians 6 and that the message would be accepted by many in Second Thessalonians 3. And so over and over and over again, Paul is calling on the churches to pray together for him, that they would corporately and congregationally uphold his ministry in prayer. And so we pray corporately that God would meet our needs corporately and congregationally 
and, and bless his gospel work congregationally. And that's exactly why we want to pray together as a church. That's exactly why we are setting aside next Sunday for a couple of hours after church, inviting everybody to come and pray together. And you have in your bulletin there uh, just the outline of the schedule that we have for those few hours that we have to pray together. And in this case, it's not because we're facing any great congregational crisis. The walls of Jerusalem are not down. The temple is not destroyed. But in fact, because God's blessing is apparent, and it's now more than ever that we want to press into God in prayer. It's now more than ever that we want to know where he is working and join his Holy Spirit in the work that he is doing. And anywhere that there is any fear or discouragement or dismay or disobedience, we want to come before God in prayer as a church congregationally and hold ourselves up to him and encourage one another and confirm before God our need for him to act on our behalf because we will not accomplish anything for the next 115 years at Lakeside except that we do it in the power of the Holy Spirit that comes from being together before God in prayer. And from all these examples in Scripture and instruction, you know, you can almost see sort of a simple definition of corporate prayer emerging. And to sort of bring us all on the same page of what I mean by corporate prayer, I'm going to keep it really simple. It means this. Corporate or congregational prayer is prayer that is offered to God in the hearing of other believers who agree and affirm those prayers. And so it's praying together. You may not even verbalize anything, but you're hearing other people pray And you're agreeing and you're affirming with their prayers. That's the common element. That people are praying together and that they're praying for things in unity that they agree on, affirming that this is, that they agree with the prayers of others. Whatever the topic or whatever the need or whatever the opportunity, that's what the people are doing and being called upon to do in corporate prayer. Just get together and pray in agreement with one another. That we are unified in our desire to be obedient to what God is doing and to seek where God is leading. And that's corporate prayer. Not people so much praying their own prayers, but joining in praying one harmonious prayer or praying together, lifting up many different voices, but all to one purpose. That is corporate prayer. And I think that establishes our basis for why we want to press in in our pursuit of greater corporate congregational prayer. Prayer that goes beyond all the existing prayer that takes place. And this is, and corporate prayer does take a lot of different forms. I know that there is prayer going on, uh, in, on Wednesdays with Women of the Word. I know that there's prayer going on in our small groups. I know that there's prayer going on on Tuesday with the men's group. And I know that we're even praying in unity on our own because we are all agreeing with each other on what we, uh, seek God's will for for Lakeside. So there is corporate prayer that's going on that's kind of apart or in smaller groups, and that's good corporate prayer. But we want to press in even more so next Sunday and have a congregational prayer where we pray together in unity for an extended period of time for the same things that God would lead this church and continue to show us where he he would have us be obedient. So that's why corporate prayer. That's why we do it. We have this example in, in God's people and this instruction from God and this need to be unified in it. But I want to quickly go through some of the results of corporate prayer and what corporate prayer accomplishes and can accomplish for Lakeside, for the people of God here. First of all, corporate prayer displays and spreads the glory of God. 
And you could say greater than individual prayer. You could say that sort of after all these things, to a greater extent than individual prayer. Corporate prayer displays and spreads the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 1.11 says, You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted to us through the prayers of many. So it's many people praying. Paul says that many people will give thanks to God because many people were praying. And there's a connection between the many praying and the many thanks that God receives. And so God is after thanksgiving. He is after worship. He is after the glory of his name. And Paul says that by prayer, many will be giving glory to God. Many will be giving thanks to God because of the prayers of many. So this is corporate prayer that's taking place for, taking place here. And in chapter 4 of of 2 Corinthians, Paul goes on to say that it is all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. He makes the direct connection to the glory of God and the thanksgiving and the grace that God is extending that is upheld by the prayers of the many. And so corporate prayer, congregational prayer, displays and puts on display and spreads the glory of God. By many praying, God receives much glory because his grace goes forward to many. And that's how ministry extends to many. And that's uh, how many give praise. And, and that's what we want at Lakeside, isn't it? Like, don't we want as a church to be that church where many are praying and many are receiving God's grace? And so therefore, many are thanking God and God is receiving glory from many because of the prayers of the many. Is that not a connection that we want to make to our congregational prayer as a church? Last week, we ended on the reality of God getting glory by our depending on him. Right, I talked about the mountain river, how a, a, a mountain river, a clear mountain spring, receives glory by being used, by drinking at it, right? by bathing in it, by being our provision, by being our cleansing. And that's the way our God is, that he is given glory when we depend on him for his grace. Psalm 50:15 says, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. And so when many come before God and call upon him, and he meets the needs of our prayers, then we glorify him, and many give thanks. You can call on me, and I'll answer, and glory results. And so corporate prayer results in the glory of God. Secondly, praying together facilitates unity and confession. James 5.16 says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, it's hard to confess to one another if you're not together. And so we hear in James there's an assumption of corporate or congregational prayer. Right? If you're not together, how do you confess? And we need to confess our weakness and our missing the mark. Corporately, together, we fall short of the glory of God has in store for us. And we fall short in obedience and in generosity. And we can confess our personal sins. When I'm together with a group of men on Wednesday or Tuesday and we are praying together, I can say to those men who are before me, pray for me over, you know, whatever happened that week. Could be, you know, I'll pick one that probably would be true. You know, I just maybe boiled over with Isaac the other day because of homework or because of chores or whatever, you know, and I just kind of lost it for a while. And I completely ignored Colossians 3.21. I did not encourage him and I provoked him and discouraged him. And so I need to confess that. You know, I need to confess it to Isaac, of course, and I need to, to deal with that or whatever, you know, whoever the person is. 
You know, I need to confess my personal sin, but if I also confess it in the body of Christ, then it encourages others. By, by, by corporate confession, as James talks about it, it allows the grace and the gospel to work corporately. It allows other people to pray for me, specifically for my current struggle, right? And, and, and best of all, it stokes the fires of fervency. It says the fervent prayer, right? The context can't be ignored here, that confession and prayer for each other leads towards healing in the confession and in the restoration of relationships and healing physically as well, which is awesome. And the next sentence, that it's a, it leads to effective and fervent prayers that avail much. The effective, fervent prayers of a righteous man. And we often, when we quote that verse, we, we focus on the righteous part, that you have to be a righteous person. Well, our righteousness comes from Christ. Okay, you can claim that righteousness as a Christian. But it's not just a righteous prayer, it's a fervent prayer. So that righteous man or that righteous woman also has to pray fervently for it to be effective and avail much. Right? And so that's corporate prayer where we are together confessing and building one another up and allowing grace in the gospel to be at work, which leads to fervent prayer, which leads to healing and effective prayer. And we could look at other texts that support this. You know, it's hard to pray earnestly and fervently when you are right beside someone who you've offended or who has offended you. And so this confession part has to come out too. So we can look at a verse like Matthew 5. 23 to 24, it says, If you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. You know, or even 1 Peter 3, 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, and show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you in the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. And so the reality of corporate prayer is that it facilitates unity. It facilitates relational healing and it facilitates confession because if we're not there with each other praying together, it's hard to confess to each other. But if you're right there in the same room or you're right there in the same circle, then it's really easy to confess your sins one to another as we are instructed. And so corporate prayer facilitates that confession and facilitates that healing. Corporate prayer is the spiritual herbicide to any sort of root of bitterness that are starting to work their way into the congregation. God said, if those people will come and pray, then I will heal their land. If we don't pray together, the roots will grow. And as James says, if there is a hindrance to healing, whatever form that healing needs to take, it's because those roots of bitterness are there. Healing comes from confessing to one another and praying for one another. And then healing follows. Thirdly, corporate prayer intensifies spiritual warfare. This is a big one. First of all, all praying is spiritual warfare. Even if it may seem insignificant to you, if it is an authentic prayer between you and God, there's an element of warfare going on. Because the enemy does not want us in communion with our God because he knows that prayer is effective. And so it doesn't matter how small the thing is you might be praying for, it is spiritual warfare that's taking place. John 15:16 This is where I get this from John 15:16 when Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he gives them this promise in prayer. Uh, before he leaves, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. 
And the logic of that verse or the logic of that sentence that Jesus uh, speaks to his disciple is striking. He says, you are appointed to bear fruit. You are appointed to make progress, right? Bearing fruit. You could say you're, you're appointed to make progress in sanctification. Or you could say you're appointed to make progress in the gospel. You are appointed to make progress in bearing the image of Christ before the world. You are appointed to make progress in revealing the kingdom of God or in ministry of reconciliation and healing, etc. You can take bear fruit. To bear fruit means to make progress in maturity, to, to see ministry happen, to see the gospel go forth. He says you are appointed to bear fruit, that there will be victory, or success in 10,000 different purposes of the gospel in God's kingdom. And then his logic continues, and he says, and because you are appointed to bear fruit, and that it should be lasting fruit, I give you prayer as your weapon. Whatever you ask in the Father, in my name, or you could say, or according to my glory, he is able to give it to you. So there's this direct connection that Jesus makes between bearing fruit or advancing the kingdom in our own lives and in the world and in the gift of prayer that he gives his disciples. He says, I've appointed you to bear fruit. I've appointed you to mature. I've appointed you to be successful. I've appointed you to have victory. I've appointed you to have the gospel go forth. I've appointed you to bear fruit for me. And so I've given you prayer that whatever you ask for my glory in the Father's name, I'll grant to you. That's the spiritual warfare that's going on. Because we've been appointed to bear fruit, Jesus gave us prayer. And that prayer is a battle between us and the enemy who doesn't want to see any spiritual fruit in our own lives or in this church or in this community. And so there's always warfare going on in prayer. And togetherness intensifies that spiritual warfare. A battlefield is not a place I think of being alone. If I'd had to fight, I'd prefer it if there was a gang of friends with me. And so I'll admit, I'll confess that when I'm alone, my prayers are perhaps a little less dangerous than when I'm praying with others. Right? It can be hard to take the fight to the enemy on our own, but if I'm in a room with five or ten or fifty other warriors and the intensity of the war effort rises, and that's the part I mean by dangerous when we're praying together corporately, it's spiritual warfare. We don't want to pray that God makes us safe. We pray that prayer a lot, don't we? God, make us safe. We don't want to pray the prayer that God makes us safe. We want to pray that God makes us dangerous to the enemy. Fourthly, corporate prayer enlarges the vision for what it is that we are praying toward. One great prayer warrior I was reading about said, there must be an Elisha in every prayer meeting. And then I, he didn't elaborate. He just said, there must be an Elisha in every prayer meeting. And I'm like, Elisha, Elisha. And I'm racking my brain trying to remember which one was Elisha and which one was Elijah, like we always do. And then what was it that Elisha did, right? And so I'll refresh your memory along with mine as I went back and looked in Second Kings. Second Kings chapter 6. The king of Syria is at war against the people of God. That sounds very current. This was 4,000 years ago. But the king of Syria is at war against the people of God, and he learns that Elisha the prophet is revealing all of his plans to Israel. Right, Everywhere he goes, he keeps not being able to fight Israel, or they're you know, sabotaging his army, and he finds out that it's Elisha the prophet who's telling Israel what's going on ahead of time. 
right? And so he sends out to capture Elisha, and he's surrounding the city where Elisha is with a, uh, an army and with chariots. And poor Elisha's servant gets up in the morning, and he sees in the, this, the, the army and all the chariots encamped around, and he runs back to Elisha, fearful of what they can do. And Elisha simply says, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then this is where the Elisha part comes in. This is why we need an Elisha in our prayer meetings. Because then Elisha prayed and he said, Oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And so the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire. Wow. Isn't that amazing? So in corporate prayer, we have this opportunity of an Elisha opening our eyes so that we can see what God is really doing. We might look around and we might see all kinds of trouble and all kinds of opposition and darkness and despair. And an Elisha in a corporate prayer meeting can open our eyes so that we remember that God is greater and he is with us and greater than those that are with the enemy. And so some of us are seeing nothing but the Syrians, and we need Elisha to open our eyes to the powerful, invincible movement of God's power and might, to open our eyes to the irresistible strength that he wields for our good and his glory, that the victory's already won, that we must go boldly as he enables us. The Elisha of the prayer meeting speaks up when we are praying cautious prayers without any sort of strategic urgency for the kingdom of God and our mission. You know, we're praying together gives voice to our prophets. You know, or perhaps we Baptists would say it allows God's prophetic voice to speak through any of us for the purpose of enlarging our vision. That's the point of corporate prayer is that when we're together, we hear those Elishas and God can speak through them. That God's word would go forward powerfully in Halliburton. That there would be healing. That marriages would thrive. That prodigal children would return. That missions would succeed. That darkness would be driven back by light. That lies and deception that bind so many people would be replaced by truth. That broken walls would be rebuilt. That the streets would be swept clean. That ancient ruins would stand whole again. All of those great prayers of the prophets and our own prayers. That whole atmosphere of prayer changes when the Elisha speaks in the prayer meetings and draws everybody together in seeking God and what he would be doing by his might and his strength. And somebody has to do that, or several somebodies. But if you're at home alone in your closet with the door closed, you don't hear that. You don't get that, right? If you're at home praying, that's great that you're at home praying, but you miss in corporate prayer the opportunity for the Elisha to open your eyes and for us to cry out to God for what God is doing through us. Fifthly, praying together calls on God's power for us. That's what we need. That's what Elisha showed his servant was the power of God. And praying together calls on that power for us. Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. And that's absolutely true at Lakeside. There's no sense trying to build this church on our own. And then in Zechariah 4, 6, of course, Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. 
unless it's God's power that is behind what we are doing, it is a vain attempt to do ministry. And when I started this series three weeks ago, I said that it filled me with both joy and fear, if you remember that. And this is where the joy and the fear really settles in right here. Just as in our personal prayer life, so too in the life of the church, there's this indescribable joy at what God has been doing and what God is going to do through our prayer. In your personal lives, in the ministries of the church, through the church, there's so much joy there in what's being accomplished through prayer. And then there's fear. Fear in my lack of ability to teach and motivate correctly and that somehow we'll fall short in this prayer emphasis. But also fear of this, that we may only half-heartedly succeed. That we'll succeed in some measure in pressing into God to know His will and seek His grace, but then we will shrink back from who He then calls us to be. And the transformation and obedience that has to follow our seeking. And the only way to counter that fear for me is to lean into God. And when we're leaning into God to reveal what be his will for us, and we press in for his blessing on Lakeside and on us and our ministry, that we also, when we press in, we also lean in and ask for him for the power and the strength to do it. Because we won't do it on our own. My fear is that we will press in and find out what he wants and then we shrink back. And the only way we won't shrink back is if God then gives us the courage and the wisdom and the strength to sustain us, to be obedient in what he calls us to be as a church. And so if we do dare to pray dangerously in this way, then we have to keep on praying for the courage and wisdom and strength from God to see his purposes accomplished in the church. Or we will not fully take ownership of or receive the blessing that he has out there for us. But prayer, especially corporate prayer, is life-giving and transforming power for those who trust in him. 1 John 2.14 writes, I, says, I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning and I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. John says, I'm writing you this letter and I'm, I'm talking to you guys because I know that you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. And so when we press in in prayer, we have to apprehend or take ownership and call, God, call for God's power for us so that we can then fulfill the vision and the mission that he gives us in prayer. And then finally, there could be more, but I'll end it with this, perhaps as an application. Corporate prayer teaches others about prayer and the work of God. So corporate prayer teaches the people of God how to pray and about God at work in the normal Christian life. And this was certainly one of Jesus' purpose in praying in front of his disciples in Luke 11:1, 1, right? He's praying, and he was actually praying at the time, and the disciples were watching him pray, and it says after he finished praying, then they asked him, well, teach us to pray. And so Jesus was praying corporately in the presence of his disciples on purpose so that they would learn prayer. And it's certainly one of the purposes that we have for our corporate prayer afternoon this coming Sunday. So next Sunday on the 31st, one of the purposes behind it is that we learn how to pray from each other. That maybe, as I said at the beginning, you come from a generation or a background where you just didn't do corporate prayer. You don't even know what corporate prayer necessarily even really looks like or can look like. Well, come on Sunday, you know, and learn prayer. Please come and be with us. You know, even if you have no intention of of, of even opening your mouth to make a noise, that's okay. You know, 
just by being there with us, you can affirm our prayers and you can agree and assent with our prayers and you can learn so much about prayer and you can listen to the prayers of others and you can hear how God is at work in their lives. And so you not only learn about prayer, but you also learn about how God is working in other lives and be encouraged by that. So you learn about prayer and you learn about how God works and you learn about the life of the church. And you don't have to say anything to participate in corporate prayer. You can just listen and learn about prayer and God's work in the Christian life. And that's not to say that next Sunday we have the definitive model of corporate prayer. right? What we're doing next Sunday, we've just put together a plan for what we know and what is effective and what will be um, uh, good at, at, at drawing out of our people the prayers that we need to go up to God. And our prayer meetings won't always look the same. But next Sunday, we're just going to start with what we do know and what is, is effective. And so I've said from the beginning, I want more out of this series on prayer than just listening and learning about prayer, but actually doing prayer. And next Sunday is a great opportunity for us to do prayer together, to learn about prayer, and more so hear how God is at work in our church and in the lives of many great saints who are sitting right around you right now. If you don't pray with these great people that are sitting right beside you, then you won't learn about how God's working in their life. You've got to get together and pray together to learn how God is working. And you're missing out if you miss that. And at our first men's small group meeting this last Tuesday, we had about 20 guys out, which was awesome. And the quiet, we're going to do two groups of 10. And if you're not in and you want to join guys, you can. We'll take more. But the question was posed. What would it look like if everyone there were to become prayer warriors? in our families, in our church, in our community? What would it look like if our churches became houses of prayer for the nations? That was the question that was posed. Well, all I can say this morning is that's our intention to find out <laughs> what would happen if we did that. It's our intention as men to press in, to hold each other accountable to becoming those prayer warriors. And it's our intention as leaders here at Lakeside to press in and push this notion of corporate prayer push it as far as we can push it so that we can find out what it would look like if our church became known as a house of prayer for the nations. And I know it's going to be good. And we're given the example of prayer and praying together as I outlined in the Old Testament and the New. And we know the purpose of prayer and what corporate prayer accomplishes. I gave you six things there. We could do more. And we can see the benefits of praying together. The only thing left right now is to actually pray together. That's all that's left. We got the teaching we got the benefits. We understand it. we just got to do it. And so take that bulletin and insert and stick it on your fridge when you get home and pray about it. And don't let this opportunity pass you by. It's only about two hours after church next Sunday. We will feed your kids. We have a program for them. We will not bore you. We will not lecture you. We will not embarrass you. We are just going to pray for the church and for our community and for church family members and for needs that we have and for the power of God to press in on us so that we can take advantage of the opportunities of the gospel that are before us in Halliburton. We want to pray for healing and salvation and transformation for God's glory. So don't miss corporate prayer next week. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your teaching. I would pray that next week we would have the Elishas there with us who will open our eyes to what you are doing. That you would, uh, at the same time, Lord, be humbling us and 
having us uh, call upon your name and confess as a church as a whole where we've missed the mark and where we fall short of your glory and maybe even confess individually so that we can heal relationships and repair things and healing can come in that way. And Lord, you know there will be prayers for healing and there will be prayers for the community. There will be prayers for salvation. There will be prayers for wisdom, for strength, for marriages, for families. Lord, we have that planned out and we're going to do that in obedience. But even now, Lord, I pray that you would break through in our prayer meeting in ways that we haven't planned. So that it's more than just what we plan, Lord. It's what you bring that your Holy Spirit would fall upon us, that we would have a time of just rebuilding closeness with each other and closeness with you as a church corporately and congregationally. We would set our eyes on you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.